Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. All right, new schedule here for the GM Shuffle as we are back to two a week. You can catch us every Monday and Thursday. Please do go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, and review. We've got lots coming up here, including Mike's thoughts about some big-time quarterbacks, or at least guys you thought would be big names. Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, among them. Plus, the Big Ten says, you know what? We actually are going to have a season. (laughs) We see what's happening with all the other football. We want to come back in October. We'll talk about that. But first and foremost, Tiki Barber. Well, make me smarter, Mike. He says the giant Saquon Barkley is, quote, a liability in pass protection and can't be an every down back. We've been working together since last April. Even back then, you were saying to me, the most important thing a running back has to do is to protect the quarterback. As you put it to me, Don Brady ain't going to protect a guy if he can't protect his ass. And Bar- Barber saying with Saquon Barkley, he's a big man who doesn't want to hit anybody. It's frustrating to watch. He's a great back, but he's frustrating to watch trying to pass protect. You've been saying this all along about Saquon, right? Yeah, I mean, like, how is this news? I mean, how did this make the New York Post? Because Tiki said it. We, Everybody in the league knows. It's like the fucking the easiest secret of all time. I mean, you know, everybody knows Barkley's in the game, attack the pocket. Barkley's in the game, rush. I mean, Joe, poor Joe Judge, he knows it. You know, the guy refuses to pass protect. And so, you know, we saw last week, we saw Wayne Gallman come in and then, you know, they missed the protection. And for the record, A.D., you become the ESPN defender since you've worked for them on this on this thing. Like, do you think ESPN knew that Joe Judge was the head coach? <laughs> you texted me that during the game, which I started laughing at. I said, I think they're just talking a lot about Jason Garrett. But you're right. If you're watching it on mute, which I know you do, you didn't want to listen to Fallon Herbie. It was a lot of cutaway shots of Jason Garrett. That would be the most shots ever of a coordinator since, like, Buddy Ryan was with the Eagles. It's unbelievable. First of all, for the record, I'm not allowed to watch games on mute with Millie next to me can you please turn the sound on so i turn it on to satisfy her so i had the sound on because you know in my house making her happy is the most important thing so the sound's on so i got the sound on and i'm listening and all they're doing is talking about this guy like at some point she says to me she had the line of the night she says how do you think joe judge's wife feels watching this game because you know it would have never happened had we not had covid right Joe Judge's wife would have been in the stand. She wouldn't have seen it all, right? But now that she's home watching it on TV, she's like, wait a minute, my husband's the head coach of this team. Like, why is that? Jason Garrett said this, and Jason Garrett says that, and Jason Garrett said this. The best line of the night was when, was when, was when, uh, Fowler and Herbie, they both decided, you know, this game moves a lot faster than the college game. Oh, really? Jeez, I didn't know that. Really? Oh, write that one down. <laughs> it was definitely different seeing those guys calling an NFL game. But Barkley specifically, six yards, Mike, 15 carries. Like, Big Blue looked like a disaster. Well, I mean, really what I would have liked them to discuss, which was really they were not going to go down there because the narrative was to promote Jason Garrett. You know, forget about anything that happened. So every time the the, the Steelers had a read on the on the, the Giants' run game, they knew by the line stance. They knew by the line splits. They knew by the back in the backfield in terms of the four, how deep he was. They knew where the ball was going, and they stunted into it. You do not, and I will repeat this, you do not hold a running back in the National Football League today 
to negative yards unless you know what the other team's doing, unless you understand how they want to formation you and what they're trying to do. That's all what I call coaching malpractice. Like when you let that happen, like there's, we should probably have a category on Sunday night, coaching malpractice. Like what the Colts did on defense last week against the Jaguars and letting Gardner Minshew go 19 for 20, that was coaching malpractice. I mean, you, you should basically have to have a tribunal and face that because that was bad. If you're going to play Tampa 2 and let this guy run day one install offense, you deserve to lose. Same thing if you're going to let a running back carry the ball and have negative yards. Like, I get it if you run a toss play and you lose a couple yards, but you typically can get a line back to the, a back to the line of scrimmage without having to worry about it, but not in this case because they clearly had a read on it, so they were stunting into the run game, stunning into the run game. Well, it's funny. It makes me think also when you mentioned the word tribunal and now all of a sudden I picture it's like the show's survivor. Like the way they were talking about Joe Judge, Mike, they're like, hey, listen, he's no nonsense. You know, they started a practice and they restarted it. He's screaming at guys all over the place. You know, he learned from Saban, learned from Belichick. And like, oh, the players love it. Well, what player is going to publicly come out? You know what? I think Joe Judge is a prick. I think he's a terrible coach. I think he's running his way toward. Of course, the players are going to say they love it. Wait till he gets fired. Wait till they're two and 14. Then they go, by the way, Joe Judge was a total pain in the ass. I was a worst coach ever. I mean, like, seriously, like, look, the, the Giants organization, what they really need to do is they need an intervention. They need John Mara, the president of the team, and make no mistake about this, John Mara runs the Giants. Dave Gettleman is the T- GM and title. John Mara makes the decisions. And they're 12 and 37 since that faithful boat trip that Gilligan was on, AI Odell Beckham. I mean, since that three-hour cruise they took down in Miami before they got ready to play the Packers in a playoff game, they're 12-37. and You can't get any worse than this. And their talent level has declined. They haven't really improved. They fired a general manager. They fired a coach. And now Joe's sitting there in this mess. They got a running back who's good, doesn't pass protect, one-dimensional. Got a quarterback who can't keep his hands on the football, makes mistakes. They got a bad offensive line. You know, I thought they played as well as they could play. And I didn't think the Steelers played all that well. I thought the Giants actually rushed the passer better than I anticipated. I mean, Leonard Williams actually landed on go. He got a sack, which is, you know, you better save those because those are few and far. But we might have another 100 games before he gets another one. So, look, I I think Joe's in a tough spot. But he's got Jason there. And Jason's going to be all the guy that they all look at. No, Jason Garrett says this, and Jason Garrett said that, and Jason Garrett said this, and oh, Bafangul that. You know, it's like ridiculous. Come on. Jason Garrett, the savior, even as an offensive coordinator. Let's all take a trip back. You and I obviously love TV shows. We love great entertainment. You know those old school TV shows, the character would kind of look off in the distance, and you hear this music, and you get all fuzzy. They have a big flashback episode. I want everyone listening to do that right now when I say the names Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield. Kind of look off in the distance. The camera's going to go fuzzy. You're going to have a little music in the background. Think about all the praise that was being showered upon those guys. Sam Darnold's a can't-miss quarterback. Baker Mayfield, Kirk Herbstreit said, is going to be like the next Drew Brees. Josh Allen's got a big arm. He's going to be a stud. And look at where these guys are now. I'm going to give you a couple excerpts from Mike's column in the Athletic course. You can always subscribe there and read these. But think about for each of these guys, Mike. First off, Josh Allen. For Bannon Bean and the Buffalo Bills, Sunday looked promising. Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator, tailored the offense around the athletic skills of Josh Allen. Dable ran an offense look more like the Ravens and the Patriots, which is normally his default offense. Dable only called for one pass play over 30 yards, which allowed Allen to complete 71% of his passes. 
Remember Kyle Brandt was saying Josh Allen for MVP? And then you're pointing out, look at the way they're tailoring the scheme because they don't trust him to throw the ball downfield. Yeah, I mean, I thought Dayball did a great job. I thought he basically managed it. And I thought he got Josh Allen to run the ball. Now, he fumbled twice in the game. But you can't complain with what Josh Allen did in that game. He threw the ball underneath well. He had 33 completions. 24 of them came under 10 yards, which was good. You know, he was 9 of 13 over 20, over 10 yards. And, of course, the Jets' defense, look, I, of all the things, I, you know, after watching all the tape, the Jets' team is really bad. I hate to break the news to the New York fans, but the Jets team is really bad. From a talent level, from a roster standpoint, they're not very good. It's going to be tough for them to think that they're going to be able to take a giant step. Le'Veon Bell got hurt. I mean, it was painful to watch. But nonetheless, I thought Josh Allen at least flashed that they know, they kind of know who he is now. They didn't try to make him do things that he can't really do, which is throw the ball accurately down the field. So I take my hat off the day ball. I thought the Bills were well coached. I thought they executed what they had to do. They ran the ball effectively. And I thought they played really good CFL football, which is get first downs and two downs so that you're not constantly putting the pressure on Josh Allen to perform. Love the reference to CFL football. Go Argonauts, as always. Uh, When it comes to the next quarterback, Sam Darnold, as you wrote in The Athletic, Joe Douglas knows Darnold is good. He also knows he has yet to prove he is great. And the vastness between good and great in this case is rather large. Darnold has yet to demonstrate the extraordinary talent that is required to make the $40 million club. He's better than players like Luke Falk, but is he a top 10 quarterback in the NFL? As you wrote, Mike, not even close right now. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm a big Sam Darnold guy coming out, and, and I'm worried about being right on that one. I think I blew that one. He makes the same mistakes over. You know, his accuracy is when you look at the sheet, you say, well, it's not really that bad. But there's so many times he doesn't put the ball where it needs to be. You know, accuracy must be in the right location to give the receivers a chance. And then when the play breaks down or the pressure's on, he has a brain fart. I mean, he just doesn't make good decisions. I mean, he's throwing the ball against, he's doing stuff that kids in high school are taught not to do. And if you're Joe Douglas sitting up watching this, you got a bad roster, right? You really don't have got, you don't have the kids don't have any real talent at receiver, right? Okay, Perryman, you know, who's really going to make a play for this team at at wide receiver? You know, Le'Veon Bell's the running back. I mean, it's a team that you say, wow, like, like, you know, you can blame, you can blame Adam Gase for everything, but I mean, they're just not a very talented team. And then, you know, their offensive line, you know, they're trying to repair it as it goes along, but George Fant never was a great player. You know, he's the right tackle. Alex Lewis got hurt. I mean, Chris Hogan, just think about this, AD. Chris Hogan is a starting receiver on this team. And he's been cut. You know, he left New England, went to Carolina. I mean, Braxton Berrios is, is the fourth receiver on the team. They just don't – how do they get open? Like, how do they make play? I mean, I know Jamison Crowder is a nice little player, but I don't see it. And, and for Darnold, all roads lead back. I mean, this weekend they're going to play the 49ers. They go into the game. Frank Gore is going to be the main back. Frank Gore. I mean, Frank Gore's the greatest story of all time. But going back to Darnold, it's a $35 million problem that he's yet to flash. Wow. You know, he doesn't give you that, man, that guy's really special. That was unique. Remember this, for everybody, and I quoted this in the column, and it's an Alex Ferguson quote, and I didn't attribute to him because it it didn't fit in there, but it's his quote. We cannot pay for world-class moments we must only pay for world-class careers. 
And these guys so far, now Josh Allen had a world-class moment last week. I wouldn't call it world-class, but he had a good one. But so far between Mayfield and Darnold, they've yet to had a world-class moment or leading to a world-class career. It's interesting. You're right. A league, a legacy is often built on those moments. And for moments right now, when it comes to Baker Mayfield, his best moment is acting in commercials because he's not doing anything worthy of note on the field. As you wrote about Baker, I get the feeling Andrew Barry and the Browns know who Baker Mayfield is as a player. The hiring of Kevin Stefanski as their head coach told me they know the NFL is a good read on how to defend Mayfield. They know Mayfield's lack of height is a concern. He cannot see down the field to take advantage of the Brown scale players. So this is, this is the essence of the problem, Mike. He was too short, and those who didn't like him said he's too short. But the thought was, no, he's a, he's a competitor. He's got mocks. He's got a strong arm. But do you honestly think Baker Mayfield can be a successful quarterback just by being in the pocket? Or can he only be successful when he's scrambling and making plays? Because you can't scramble on every play, can you? Right. And he's really good at scrambling to his right, right? So when he can get out. But people are smart enough to rush him. I mean, Baltimore put a lot of pressure of him inside. They for, When he forces himself to the right, he's still good, but he can't get down the field. I mean, Odell's a time bomb waiting to happen. I mean, he's not going to get – no more – if he has three catches for 22 yards again tonight, the, the shit's going to hit the fan. I mean, there's no way that's going to continue, and no one's going to believe this, but this is how you must think if you're a general manager in the league. You must think this way. How much better is Baker Mayfield than Case Keenum? Now, the answer to the question is he's better. There's no doubt. Mayfield's better than Case Keenum. How much better? Is he $30 million better? No, of course not. That's the question you've got to answer because it's not just good enough to say Baker Mayfield's good. You've got to put a dollar sign on the player. And that's what scares me about Mayfield. He has to play a certain way. He's not Drew Brees. He doesn't have the slide. And when he leaves the pocket, watch it closely. He gets caught. People catch him. He's not the fastest guy in the league. Now, when he can run play action and they can utilize Chubb and Hunt and utilize that, they got a chance. But, you know, going into tonight's game, we're taping at 2 o'clock on on Thursday afternoon. I mean, I think it's going to be a hard game for him if they don't get the running game going. So my question comes back to how much better. See, that's my problem with the Rams. People could say, well, you know, no. Again, I'll give Sean McVay $35 million a year. I don't want to give Jared Goff $33 million a year. I just don't. Because Sean McVay can find a Case Keenum or somebody and make him into a good player. Will the guy be great? Absolutely not. But it'll be just as serviceable. What fans, what you need to do watching a game is instead of getting all hyperventilated over a completed pass, is ask yourself the question, was it the scheme or was it the, the throw? There's sometimes it's the throw. Most of the time, it's the scheme. Guy throws a curl. It ain't the quarterback. The curl's open. It was the right play at the right time. You know, when you watch Goff against the the Cowboys, the nine route that he throws to Van Jefferson, great throw. Bingo, great throw, right? All the other stuff, scheme, bootleg, naked. You don't need to be great to run that. You need to be great offensively to run that. That's where I think they are with Baker. Final thought on Baker. Let's do a boom versus bust scale. So a boom is a one, meaning he's going to be a stud quarterback. A bust, as self-explanatory, would be a 10, meaning this guy's a disaster. Baker Mayfield, on the boom versus bust scale, I'd have him currently at a six, and I'm trending in that direction towards a 10. How about you? I'm going to go six there, too. A six or seven. I, I, think he's, I think the definition of Baker will be serviceable. And I don't care what Browns fans say. They should have picked... Bradley Chubb, they should have picked uh, Quentin Nelson and traded back in the first and got Lamar Jackson. That would have been a draft. 
Instead, they picked Baker and Denzel Ward, and we'll see where it goes. All right, let's move on and talk about what's happened with college football. <laughs> this is amazing. Maybe it isn't amazing. Maybe it isn't surprising. But to me, it does raise an eyebrow because it is quite an about face in the Big Ten. And the cynic says, oh, it's just about the money. But also, let's go back to what you and I said here on the GM Shuffle. There's nothing wrong with the mea culpa. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, we were a little bit hasty. Maybe this was a rush to judgment. We've reconsidered and we're good to go. That's what's happening with the Big Ten. They're going to open their season on the weekend of October 24th. Teams playing eight regular season games over eight. Eight weeks along with the Big Ten Championship game and six additional consolation games. Now, the Big Ten Championship game is scheduled for December 19th, making the Big Ten eligible or the college football playoff, college football playoff rankings of the season set for December 20th. So they bought themselves a little bit of time here, Mike, but they realized, listen, there's no margin for error now. If you want to be a part of the playoff, which of course you do, you want to be able to say you're the national champion or one of the four best teams in the college football playoff going up against the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12, et cetera. This was the time to do it. So you have six weeks. Originally, they had canceled the season. That was August 11th. And maybe they felt like everybody else is going to join in and the SEC and the ACC and Big 12 were like, no, nah, we're good. We're going to keep playing. So if you guys want to sit out, fine. They reconsider. They've looked at new analysis. The bottom line is this. You said before, it's variable control when the Big Ten decide to cancel its season. What do you think changed? Is it just looking around going, hey, everybody else is playing. We should be playing too. We don't want guys to transfer. We don't want unhappy families. We don't want coaches like James Franklin and, and Jim Harbaugh furious at us. It was all those, wasn't it? Yeah, I agree. I mean, like I'm looking at these college campuses all over the place, right? And, and is anybody behaving on them? Like, don't, doesn't there need to be a little bit more order? I mean, wouldn't football help some of these kids stay out of trouble a little bit in terms of getting, you know, too close, social contacting, the COVID spikes and all that? I, I, I agree. I mean, I think that, you know, this whole note, this whole case that they built, that they built the canceling of the Big Ten around on the, on the myocarditis, is that how you say it? Yeah, myocarditis. Yep. Myocarditis. I'm not a fucking doctor, but the the reality of it is, is like, where did that go? Wasn't that really important on August the 11th? How come it's not important anymore? Look, I don't. I never understood how you could have football in high school in Ohio. You could have college football in Ohio. You could have pro football in Ohio, and the Ohio State University couldn't play. Like, I think we're proven that if the leagues and the people are diligent and behaving themselves. We can skirt this, the problems with this. If we wear masks, all the, if we wash our hands, we do all this. It's As Belichick would say, it's not that complicated. The one aspect of it, which getting a little bit of feedback, they're going to have daily rapid COVID-19 tests, and that's everybody else, testing for athletes and coaches beginning September 30th. Uh, you mentioned the myocarditis. The Big Ten unveiled new information on its plans for myocarditis screenings in the wake of any positive tests. Here's the one wrinkle I will throw at you, Mike. The earliest an athlete could return to game competition, 21 days following a positive diagnosis. To give you an example in Major League Baseball, the sport that you know I love and cover, if a guy tests positive, you know, he's going to quarantine for a week and get two negative tests, and then you're back. So theoretically, you know, if uh, Garrett Cole, the New York Yankees, tests positive, he can get back in a hurry. 21 days in, in an eight-game season, you'd lose a guy for three games. That seems a little intense. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I don't understand how they're doing all of what they're doing. Like, who's making them? Do you know who's making these rules? 
No, I, I guess it's the Big Ten uh, as a conference together. Is that, uh, you know, the league presidents together, commissioner, with obviously the input of medical personnel. But that, that, that did stand out to me. 21 days is a long time. That's three games you're missing. Yeah. What about this? How about this? What if a guy tests positive and it's a false positive? That's happened in baseball. The other day, they, they, they had to cancel a game and it was a false positive. Like, oh, okay, he's actually fine. Let's play. <laughs> like, that would suck. He'd miss three weeks. Yeah. I, I mean, it's been happening all over. The false positive plus the testing. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, look, I'm happy the Big Ten's going to play. I think they really, I think there was an uprising in the mid, Midwest. You know what's going to be interesting to see is how all this relates at the end of the year. Where does this all come out? Like, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but I think there is an answer. Yeah, I think you're right. I think ultimately we'll get some answers and some clarity as we go. But listen, I'll be completely honest. I got a lot of friends, uh, obviously, at ESPN, as you mentioned. I got family. There, there's people whose lives rely on football, you and me. So listen, no doubt. football's back. You can do it in a safe manner. I'm happy for all those people, coaches, players, families, everybody who loves football and has jobs through the Big Ten Network. So good stuff there for college football. All right, coming up next. It's a moment you're waiting for. Mike gives his picks week two of football, and we'll talk about some key injuries affecting teams early on. That's next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Okay, time to break down some picks. Uh, last year, for the record, Mike went 67%. So he was ready. He was right, excuse me, two-thirds of the time. That's against the spread. How'd you do in week one? You picked three games. I was two and one. Like an idiot, I went against Russell Wilson. I cursed myself for doing it. I knew when I did it, but I just thought it was the right thing to do. I thought the line was moving. Uh, ended up two and one. Fortunate that Steven Guskowski missed a bunch of field goal kicks, although I thought Denver played pretty well in that game. Look, here's what I don't understand. Subscribe to the GM Shuffle. Do not, I repeat, do not give Vegas Dave any of your money. It's a, it's a flim-flam artist, right? He blocked me on Instagram, AD. He blocked me because I was just like, I went to his Instagram account and said, you're lying, you're lying, you're lying. <laughs> like, like, seriously, stop ripping people off. Like, stop ripping. I, like, I'm all for making money. You should do whatever you can do, but stop ripping people off. And apparently I was told that he's got some kind of way to where if you say something negative to him on Instagram, you're gone from him. Like, if I search Vegas Dave on Instagram now, he doesn't exist. It's like, it's like in The Godfather, all that's left is our friendship. Like, it's gone. He's gone. 
you know? And so like, so, you know, he's, so just subscribe to the GM. I'll give you three picks. I can't promise you they're going to win every week. I can't. I'm going to do the best I can. I take a lot of pride in trying to study it. I try to come up with a power ranking each week. I try to come up with my own line spread. And then I try to look at the variables. And then I watch the tape, which is this week's picks. We're more about trying to watch the tape than anything because I think there was some real bias. Like last week, I thought, okay, I think the Jets could cover against Buffalo. I didn't make that recommendation. But then I watched the tape, and the Jets were never in that game. The Jets, as bad as they appeared, look worse on the tape. Whereas the Colts, as bad as losing to Jacksonville was, if their defense could have played, not had malpractice, and 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 our man Philip Rivers would have just done some different things with the ball and been smarter, they should have won by ten points. I mean, they could have moved the ball up and down the field, you know, and and they had a they they didn't play great. But they weren't horrible. Same thing when you watch other like Minnesota on defense. I thought Minnesota on defense was horrible. I thought Minnesota just looking at week one, they're going to need the month of September to correct it. And so therefore, that leads me to my first pick. I love the Colts. I love the Colts in this game. A lot of people are on Minnesota. I think the Colts defense will play better at home. But I think this could be a high scoring game. I think it's going to be a game where the Colts can attack the secondary of this Vikings team. I mean, you know, when you bake down the Vikings, they have they have Mike Hughes at corner. You know, they've got the Danzler, the draft pick at the other corner, and they really can't. They weren't able to generate any pass rush against against Aaron Rodgers. I mean, they got stiff. There's no way they could have generated. And then you know, Gladney, their other corner, their first round pick, so no pass rush. I thought the speed of their defense was really disappointing. So I think the Colts can, with their receiving core, I think they're going to be able to move the ball. I don't think Rivers will, I think they'll manage Rivers better in the game. And I think Jonathan Taylor looks like he could be a really good runner. So I'm going to take the Colts here and lay three points. We're always going to use the Circa lines from the from the Circa uh, Million Dollar Contest. So whatever those lines are posted, I'll make sure I tweet it out. But that's the line. I think it's right now on my big board. It's Indianapolis laying three. All right, Colts laying three. Let's talk Rams and Eagles. The Rams 1-0. They knock out the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday night football. The Eagles 0-1, a depleted offensive line. Eight sacks they give up. You know, the Washington averaged 3.4 yards a carry on offense. Teams in 2019 that averaged 3.4 yards of offense per play went 0-18. It somehow Washington beats the Eagles. Carson Wentz, a couple of interceptions. Uh, obviously, issues all over the place. The stat you said earlier on Monday's GM Shuffle, the Eagles are 19-17 and since winning the Super Bowl. So who you got? McVay's Rams or Doug Peterson's Eagles? You know, I'm going to go with the Eagles here. The line opened up. Eagles were favored by three. The line quickly moved to the Eagles, became underdogs by two points. Now it's somewhere between a pick and one. I don't know what the final line's going to end up. Regardless of where the line ends up, I'm taking Philly here. Tough matchup for the Rams. Philly's defensive line was really good last week against Washington. They dominated it. They kicked the shit out of some of those guys up front. It was a real problem. Unfortunately, they couldn't get anything going with their offense. For some reason, they refused to get in seven-man protections. For some reason, they refused to try to find a running game. For some reason, they kept going back, trying to make throws down the field. And, you know, I I don't think that's going to happen this week. I think the Rams' vulnerability lies if you can put pressure on Jared Goff. So I'm always going to take the team against Goff if they can pressure him, which I think the Eagles can do. I think the Eagles, they've got to come out of the gates good today. I'm sure the Rams will run some good things. It's hard to run boots and nakeds against Jim Schwartz wide nine. 
I like the matchup for Philadelphia. I'm going to take the Eagles, and whatever the points are, whether I get a half a point, whether I get one, whether I got to give up one, that's what I'm going to do. All right. Lastly, this is at least for picks. I'm going to take a break and talk some other games. The Denver Broncos at 0-1 against the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers, as you mentioned, didn't look all that impressive, but the Giants didn't look good either, which is why Pittsburgh won. So Denver at 0-1 against the Steel Curtain at 1-0. Who you got? Well, I, th- this game I'm going to bundle together. Okay, so I, I really like Denver. I like Denver if I can get it up to seven and a half. There's some lines at seven. I want to wait and see. And I'll tweet this out to anybody who listens. I thought Denver did not play poorly last week. Now, I'm worried about A.J. Bouye not being able to play this week. He's He's hurt. So that concerns me. But I thought Denver looked decent on offense. I thought they protected against Tennessee pretty well. Clowney didn't get near the quarterback very much at all for all the great things about Clowney. But I thought their defense had an opportunity. They just couldn't get a couple key stops that they needed, especially at the end of the game. I thought they had an opportunity with three minutes to go to put the game away, and they couldn't get it going. I didn't think Drew Locke was bad. I think Pittsburgh wins the game, but I think that line at seven and a half is too large. If it's somewhere, if it's seven, I might back off of it. The other game I would tie it to is I think the 49ers. Again, the 49er play for me here is really about their defensive front against the bad Jet offensive line. The Jets are the Jets are going to struggle up front. How do the Jets move the ball on the 49ers? I don't know. I think they'll turn the ball over. I know Richard Sherman's not going to play for the Jets, for, for, the, for the 49ers, but still I think it's going to be a hard game for them to get control of. And I think San Francisco will move the football. I mean, last week they were 2 for 11 on third down. I don't think that will. Now that line is somewhere between six and a half and seven, once again. So I'm I'm on both those games on Friday afternoon or Saturday morning. I'll release the final third one. You got me locked for two, and then I'm going to let you know about the other ones. All right, Colts, Eagles, and Broncos. Those were our picks here. When we come back, these are not a part of Mike's picks. We're just going to discuss some other games of the weekend, including the Lions and Packers, the Giants at the Bears, and the Bills at the Dolphins. That's next here on the GM Shuffle. All right, so the Lions and the Packers, the Detroit Lions should have won, Mike. They, they blew it. I mean, they bungled away an easy win against the Chicago Bears, and now they're going to face the Packers, and Aaron Rodgers turned back the clock, looked tremendous against the Minnesota Vikings. Who do you got, Lions at the Packers? Well, you know, what I try to do every week is eliminate games, right? So I go through this list, and I start off, I don't, I'm don't. i never going to give the Thursday night game as a recommendation. I don't like to give the Monday nights, but sometimes I think, the, I think you have to look at those. Thursday nights, I don't like at all, only because I think it's a problem because you're not sure of the injury. Like tonight, I don't know who's going to play. I know Geno Atkins is out and Mike Daniels is out for the Bengals, which makes me think that Kareem Hunt and, and Nick Chubb are going to have big days. So I'm not there. But on this game, this was a game that I was thinking about early. I, you know, a lot of money is coming in on Detroit, on Green Bay. You know, Green Bay was a six-point favorite in this game. The line has shifted a little bit. I thought Detroit, really, when you watch the game, they mismanaged the fourth quarter, but they played pretty well in that game. You know, they had an opportunity to put the game away. The 55-yard field goal, just ridiculous. I don't know why you would try that, but... I think they'll move the ball. I thought Green Bay was really impressive. You know, I thought Green Bay controlled the game from start to finish. If you're Rick Spielman in Minnesota, one thing you got to know is you your two tackles that you're paying can't block the Smith brothers in Green Bay. They give you all sorts of problems. You got to figure out a way to get better at tackles, specifically against Green Bay. Green Bay's beat you three in a row. So we got to fix that. But 
I leaned back and forth on this one. I lean towards taking Detroit because I think Detroit knows how to play them. The grass will be heavy, slick in Green Bay. We know that. You know, so you've got to be Green. Detroit played well up there last year. I, I, I lean towards taking Detroit here. Okay, the next game to talk about is the Giants at the Bears. And for the Giants, we mentioned earlier, Saquon Barkley was a non-factor. Giants did not look good. Now they take on a Chicago Bears team. And Mitchell Trubisky and company are 1-0. MVP Mitch is feeling good right now. A couple of injuries to mention, though. Robert the Mighty Quinn, a limited participant for Wednesday's practice. He's questionable because of an ankle. And Khalil Mack, who is obviously a difference maker, also questionable the knee issue. He was a limited participant during Wednesday's practice. Golden take, questionable for the Giants. Who do you got, the G-Men or the Bears? You know, this I've gone back and forth on. I, I lean towards taking the Bears here, but I would never bet on MVP Mitch just because I don't think he can be consistent enough uh, in terms of what he needs. I was impressed with the Giants defensively kind of hanging in there. I don't like their secondary much, but I thought they hung in there pretty well. But I think this, I think you, there's certain games you just got to stay away from. For me, this is a stay away game only because I, I just, there's so many inconsistencies when you look at it. But again, you know, when you break this game down, there's a ton of money on the Giants. 90% of the tickets that are being written up are taking the Giants and the points. That's critical. Like, let me give you another game like that. Buffalo. Buffalo and Miami. 91% of the money that's coming in is coming in on Buffalo. So what you're always trying to do is look to see where the money's coming and how is it coming. You know, for example, very little money's coming in on New England and taking the points. I think that'll show up later in the week. Another example is a lot of money coming in on Jacksonville. Tennessee's getting no action at all. And how could you get action on Tennessee? You got a field goal kicker who can't make kicks and you got almost a double-digit line. Not a smart move to go in that direction. And then I think the Cowboy game is interesting because a lot of people think the Cowboys will bounce back. The other one that's split right down the middle – Ticket count and money is Carolina and Tampa. But I, I, when I look at Detroit, they should be better. Detroit better win this game or do something to make a stand because then it gets it's, it could be a long year in Detroit. They let one slip away they should have had. All right, so you got Mike's picks. You also got games that we've discussed. As we close up shop here, Thursday night football. Enjoy the game tonight. Burrow versus Baker. I mean, at the very least, Mike, I think Burrow is the quarterback you want moving forward. But Baker... A lot of pressure on him to start to prove that he's not a bust tonight. No doubt. I think, you know, obviously he'll have a good game tonight and everybody will say what an idiot you are for even thinking about it. But, you know, you're going to have to do it against really good teams and we'll see if he can do it all year. Follow at M. Lombardi NFL on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me, Adnan Esferk, and you can follow our Instagram page at the GM Shuffle. We will talk to you Monday morning. Happy football, everybody.